If you were in our Bible class this morning, we talked about one of Paul's co-laborers, a young man by the name of Timothy. And it's to this young man, Paul's son in the gospel, that we find the words of our text this morning. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul writes, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. Now, somehow, there seems to be a little bit of the passion of Paul's statement missing in the King James translation. Paul is actually telling Timothy, he's telling this young man, Timothy, I want you to rekindle that inner fire in your soul. Timothy, I want you to relight the flame of God that burns within you. I want you to rekindle that inner fire that was given you with the laying on of my hands, Paul said. Paul's writing this letter to this young man. It's Paul's last letter that's been preserved for us. And Paul knows the trying circumstances that this young man has been placed in. And he realizes that this young man is in danger of losing that passionate zeal that he has in his heart for the Lord. He knows that there is a temptation for the inner fires of his enthusiasm to go out. So Paul encourages him to rekindle the gift of God that's deep down inside of him. He says, Timothy, I want you to look well to the fire of zeal for the Lord in your heart. I want you to be cautious lest that fire in your heart burns low and dies out completely. Folks, isn't that some good and sound advice for us today? In the 21st century? Do we not need to be on guard? Lest the fires of our zeal be allowed to burn low and be extinguished in our hearts? Paul, as he writes to this young man, he's not accusing this young man of putting out his own fire. He's not telling him to stop throwing water on the zeal of the fire that's in his soul. You see, for a fire to go out, it's not always necessary for us to put out that fire, as we would say, or to extinguish that fire. When I was growing up, we had a fireplace in our home. Daddy liked it so much, he added it onto the house and put in a second fireplace. I can still fondly remember waking up on winter mornings. 
since he had two fireplaces, Daddy would always turn the heat down to about 60 or lower at night. And I can remember waking up on those cold winter mornings and pulling the blanket up a little tighter around my neck and I could hear the sound of the axe out in the backyard. Because Daddy had his axe out there and he was splitting some, we called it rich pine, some people call it lighter pine, some people call it fat wood. But he was splitting some of that so he could put it under the fire and get that fire in that fireplace going again. He'd use that kindling. He'd start a fire. He'd break the chill in that room. Oh yeah, we had central heat. But Dad had a father who was in the logging and timber management business. So he had access to all the free logs he could haul in the pickup. And he had a log splitter. It wasn't a hydraulic log splitter. He had a log splitter that was powered by Grandmother Perkins' biscuits and gravy. And he would make sure I had a good dose of biscuits and gravy and bacon and eggs on Saturday morning, then we'd head to the woods. He had a chainsaw, I had a splitting maul, a sledgehammer, and I had a splitting maul, a sledgehammer, and a wedge. And that's what we did on Saturday morning. That was what Daddy said would be fun to do on a Saturday morning, is for us to go and, and cut firewood. You see, it was a lot more economical to heat the house with wood furnished by Granddaddy and split by Junior than it was to pay the gas company for central heat. But here's the thing. I love backing up to that fireplace. But when we would light that fire, all we had to do to lose that fire and let winter with its icy chill once more invade our home was simply to leave the fire alone. That's all we had to do, just neglect it. Listen to me. All that's necessary for you to waste your talent to let all that God has given you and God has invested in you go for nothing is to simply neglect your soul and to leave the fire of your zeal for the Lord alone. Paul is not accusing this young man of putting out his own fire. And he's not accusing this young man of misusing his gifts. And he's not afraid that he's going to take the talents that God has given him and turn them to base and reprehensible uses. There are some folks, folks like the prodigal son, that waste their substance with riotous living. But there's other folks that waste it with quite decent and quite respectable living. In the far country, by the swine trough, is not the only place where folks squander their abilities. 
They're often squandered by those that occupy pews in the church. They're squandered by those who are well-wishers of the church. And they are well-wishers of all the forces that make for the uplifting of the world, but do nothing but wish. Those that are always ready for the church to do something, but never ready to invest themselves in doing something for the church. Paul's not telling this man to acquire new gifts or new abilities. He's not urging him to use gifts or abilities he does not possess. He simply presses upon him the sane and practical duty of using what he actually has. Stir up the gift that is in you. Rekindle the flame in your soul. It's not necessary to be able to sing with the ability that someone else has to sing. It's not necessary to be able to preach the grandest of sermons. It's not necessary to be able to teach a Bible class. Your whole duty, my whole duty, is to minister with our own hands. To walk on errands of mercy with our own feet. To speak to others as God has given us power to speak through our own lips. Maybe you can't teach class, preach a sermon, or lead a song. But maybe you can take a dish to someone that's in need. Or maybe you can pick up the phone and encourage someone that needs encouragement. Or maybe you can encourage someone in preaching the gospel or someone in lifting their voices and leading songs in worship. I think sometimes folks just don't understand how encouraging and how important just plain old-fashioned faithfulness and commitment can be. Use what God has given you. That's your duty. And that's your whole duty. Have you ever stopped to consider what a different church we would have? What a different world this would be if all of us were willing to use our own gifts, our own talents, our own abilities as we imagine we would use the gifts and talents and abilities of others. We all know what it is to wish we were as talented as, as other people were and as other people are. All of us can say and can imagine how much we would give to the Lord if we had the resources that someone else has. We can imagine how we would use our talents if we had been blessed with a good voice. We can imagine what could be accomplished if we could just preach like Paul or if we just had a preacher like Paul. God brings the same question to every one of us that He brought 
to Moses in the long ago. What is that in thy hand? What do you have? God is not concerned with what we would do if. God is not concerned what we would do with the talent of someone else. God is only concerned with what we do with our own ability. You see, God's desire is for us to give Him what we actually have. And God's desire is that we give the full dedication of our talents and abilities to Him. Look at this young man Paul's writing to. He's writing to a Christian. He's not writing to a heathen. He's not writing to someone that utterly ignores Jesus and His church. He is writing to this young man about whose conversion he has no doubt. It was Paul's privilege to lead this young man to a knowledge of Jesus. Young Timothy, we talked about it in Bible class. Young Timothy was Paul's son in the gospel. And Paul loved him. He loved him with a passionate devotion. And with deep joy, he says, I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in you. He doesn't have the least doubt about this young man's loyalty to Jesus. But even to this choice young man, Paul finds it necessary to urge upon him the importance of rekindling his fire. Paul's not just writing to a Christian either. He's writing to a Christian minister. He reminds him in verse 9 that he's been called to a holy calling. Timothy knows. He knows by experience the glad thrill that comes of being a herald of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. This is a man who is occupied with the most fascinating of all labors. But even to him, Paul says, rekindle your inner fire. You see, this boy is in a hard situation. There has never been a time, and there is not now a time, when Christian work is altogether easy. Carrying on the work of Christ in the world always has and always will mean a struggle and conflict. In our world today, it's hard to stand up for Christ if you stand up for Him truly. Or maybe we don't face the stones and the physical persecutions the martyrs faced. But we face the ridicule, the criticism, the bullying of unchristian thugs. 
We face the ridicule and criticism and we face the thugs like the American Civil Liberties Union, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, the Alliance Against Defamation and all kinds of other acronyms and things we could mention this morning. We think it's hard today. But if we think it's hard today, it was exceedingly hard in the days in which Timothy lived. Christians were very few. And to go forth as a disciple of Jesus, that was to be in a very small minority. And when you think about what it was then to face persecutions and what kind of things that we go through now, you know, we don't just have to face the things like the ACLU and we don't just have to face the Anti-Defamation League and we don't have to just face the Freedom From Religion Foundation. We have to face those not only outside the church, but those inside the church that sometimes want to harm and hurt the church. You know, it's, it's kind of funny over the years. The things that people will say to try to harm, to try to hurt the body of Christ. It's, thing, it's strange sometimes the, the things that, that people will say to try to destroy, tear down someone endeavoring to build up the cause of Christ. That's one of the things that's really neat. Over the last 18 years, there's not much that could be said about me that hasn't been said. And the neat thing is, there's always some kind soul that will tell you what so-and-so said to so-and-so about you. I never shall forget. It's been about 10, maybe 12 years ago now. About 10. I got a phone call from someone that lived a way off from Center, Texas. And it said, I just wanted to call and tell you and Norma how sorry I was to hear the news. I said, what news is that? Well, I heard you'd been fired and, Norma was gonna, and you and Norma were going to have to move. I said, what? I said, well, that's really news to me. I haven't heard it yet. Now, I managed to trace it back. And the following Sunday, we did have a business meeting. And as Bob Pate says, if you want to have a capacity crowd at business meeting, just mention you're going to fire the preacher. And we had more people at that men's business meeting than we'd ever had before and we've ever had since. And the person I traced this back to was there. I'm still here. And over the years, there's not a year that goes by that I don't get some rumor from somewhere way off about something that's going on in the Lord's church in Center, Texas. And there's hardly a week that goes by that I don't get some rumor about something that's happened here from somewhere in Shelby County. 
Listen to me. During World War II, the motto was, Loose lips sink ships. And the idea was, be careful who's listening to you because it could cause the defeat of Allied forces fighting the German Axis overseas. Loose lips hurt and destroy churches. Paul said, rekindle your inner flame. This young man needed this. He needed this message because of his youth. This young man had never succeeded in growing up. He never got to a place where he was impressive to look at. People could ignore him because he was such a youth. That's why Paul told him in his first letter, Let no man despise thy youth. He needed this message too because he was physically weak. He was not a man of a robust and vigorous body. He had an affliction of the stomach that laid him low again and again. And because it's hard work when pain is constantly nagging at you, and it's hard to stick to your task when disease is thrusting you again and again with its sword. Paul thought it was wise to urge upon him the necessity of stirring up the gift of God that was within him. Does Paul tell him to do this because of some great personal reward that's going to come to him? There's no great financial reward coming as a result of this. And Paul doesn't urge him to stir up the gift of God because he'll be able to fill some pulpit in some big congregation somewhere in some great city. Paul offers him no reason that would appeal to his personal ambition. He offers him nothing that's going to cater to his cowardice. But there is a great need for this, Timothy, because of the opposition. Evil men and their seducers, he said, are going to wax worse and worse. There are those, he says, and their number is going to increase who will have itching ears. And they'll turn away their ears from the truth. They'll be turned to fables. He says the time's going to come when many are going to have nothing but a form of godliness without the power. And he urges him to stir this gift up because of the sake of his own personal salvation. You see, in giving himself to his task, in utilizing his gift to the uttermost, Paul tells this young man, you'll save yourself. If Timothy will not use his talents, he's going to lose them. He's going to lose his soul. If Jesus, folks, emphasized anything, it was simply this. To keep hands off. To do nothing. To do nothing. Is the sin of all sins. Every parable of judgment that Jesus spoke, as far as I've been able to find, 
pronounce judgment because of a service withheld. What did Timothy do? He responded. He stirred up his gift. He rekindled the fire. He won the fight. How? How did he win his fight? He had a lot of human help. His granny Lois was in a closet in a secret place praying for him. Beside her in that secret place was his mother, Eunice. And there was the abiding memory of Paul, his father in the faith. And you know what else? Beside them, in some secret place, there was some obscure saint praying for that young preacher whose name is known only in heaven. But he owed his victory to Jesus Christ Himself. In spite of His weakness and in spite of His timidity, He dared to put Himself in the hands of the Lord. And He became a blessing to those of His day and to all future generations. Here's the question before the house. What will you do? What will you do about rekindling your fire for the Lord. It's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.